Today's gospel reading is probably one of the most famous, if not the most famous, in the New Testament. Maybe one that approaches it would be the Sermon on the Mount. But the Lord's Prayer is something that's known even in a culture that's only marginally Christian. I'm always reassured that when I go to the graveside or someone's bedside in the hospital, generally I can start the Lord's Prayer and people pick up and follow along and pray with me without a book. That's a tremendous thing when you think about it, that that's that deeply stuck into our culture, even with people who don't go to church. And it should be. The Lord's Prayer, or the Our Father, is the prayer that comes directly from the lips of Jesus Christ. In Luke's Gospel, this comes directly after a famous passage about Mary and Martha visiting with Jesus. You remember the passage? Mary and Martha have Jesus to their home and and Martha's all busy fixing things and bringing things to Christ. And Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet. And Martha's angry at Mary because she doesn't seem to be doing anything. And she asks even, even asks Jesus, hey, my sister, what's the deal? And Jesus says, your sister, Mary, is doing the most important thing. And that will not be taken away from her. That's my paraphrase, but that's essentially the story that comes before this passage. After this passage, in verse 14 of Luke 11, Jesus is accused of being Satan. And then in verse 15, um, he casts out, he's accused of being Satan... And then he's accused of being of Satan's army and even Beelzebub. So that's the two bookends that bookend this passage in Holy Scripture. And I always think it's important to look at that so that we can see what Jesus is saying, not just in the snippet that we've given in the bulletin. If you have your Bibles with you, and I encourage everybody to bring their Bibles to church, because it's important to do that, open up. To Luke chapter 11, verse 1. And let's look at this text together. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. His disciples come to them and they ask, teach us to pray as John, this is John the Baptist, had taught his disciples to pray. They're watching Jesus, notice, first and foremost. What inspires the question? It's Jesus' prayer life with his Father. Jesus' answer, just like God, is deep, profound, and simple. And we get the impression that Jesus preaches this sermon more than once to his disciples because it occurs a little bit differently in each of the three Gospels. You might have noticed in Luke's passage today, um, the Lord's Prayer is not the one that you're familiar with saying by rote. That's because Jesus taught this 
lesson again and again to his disciples as the core of who they, were, who they are. And we can look at the Lord's Prayer as from two perspectives. First of all, we can look at it as revelation, God revealing himself. And second of all, we can look at it as instruction. Now, lots of us like to jump to looking at it as instruction or teaching, right? I'm sure you've heard sermons on the Lord's Prayer before. I'm sure you've heard very good ones. And, you know, where you go line by line, or maybe a teaching or a Bible study where you really hash out what's going on. We're not going to do that today. That's not the point. Because within the context of this gospel passage, the number one thing Jesus is doing here is revealing who God is. Yes, he's instructing, he's teaching, but he's revealing first and foremost who God is. The two are, inter, are intermingled together, as a matter of fact, and what you're going to see is that revelation and instruction are mingled together in the Lord's Prayer. Yesterday was my birthday. I was trying to uh, make my favorite breakfast sausage, biscuits, and gravy, which I don't have very often because it's not very healthy. You know, you put the sausage in, you put it in a nice cast iron skillet, and you cook it up, and all the grease comes out. Then you stick some flour on the grease, and it soaks up, and then you pour a little bit of milk in, right? Boy, is that good. But yeah, don't do it every day, <laughs> unless you want a heart attack. Um, as I went to the cupboard, I reached into the cupboard, and I grabbed what I thought was the flour. But as I took the lid off and sprinkled it over the pan, it wasn't flour. It was powdered sugar. Now, let me tell you, I strained it. I tried to salvage it. I couldn't get the sugar out. Instruction and revelation are kind of like that in the Lord's Prayer. Once they're mingled together, they work together, but instead of creating a disgusting breakfast, they create something that's sweet and good for the Christian. Incidentally, I was able to save my breakfast with hot sauce. Frank's red hot sauce cures anything. <laughs> we don't need hot sauce for the Lord's Prayer. It's got its own. <laughs> so, look with me first at the revelation that we see here. When people ask to know about God the Father, Jesus is always quick to point to God the Father. Not because the Father is superior to him, but because the Father has given Jesus the job as the second person in the Godhead to show forth God, right? Jesus himself says that. If we look only, maybe in your Bible, it's just a page back, Chapter 10, verse 22, Jesus says this. He says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Do you see? So Jesus reveals the Father. What's revealed as we look at the Lord's Prayer? Well, for the disciple, for the Christian, what's revealed 
is that the Almighty God, the Creator, the Alpha, the Omega, Yahweh of the Old Testament, is their Father. Is their Father. Now, that might not seem earth-shaking to you, right? But to the disciples that are listening to Jesus for the first time, to the Jewish mindset, heck, even to the pagan mindset, the idea of God being Father was utterly unknown. God was almighty. God was the creator. God was someone that you didn't mess with. And here Jesus is saying, if you're found in me as a Christian, you can call this almighty God Father. Now it's true in the Old Testament, we see fatherly attributes in God. It's true in the Old Testament, like today's reading in Genesis, we see God being merciful and acting as a father, sparing and going the extra mile to, to you know, if, if, there's, if there's just ten wicked people, will you destroy the city? Right? We see the attributes of God as father, but God is never referred to as the father of any individual. He's the father of nations, He's the father of peoples, but he's not the father of you and me. And here Jesus says, in me, God is your father. The New Testament goes on to use the term Abba, daddy in Aramaic, to refer to God. That we have that access to God himself as our father. Let's continue on. Look at verse 5 through 10. And he said to them, which of you has a friend, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him, do not bother me, the door is now shut, and the ch my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. Now what's that word in there, impudence? It's not imprudence, impudence. I had to look it up. Maybe you would too. It's the idea of being persistent, but with a connotation of being cocky and maybe even contemptuous. Having a boldness and disregard in your persistence. So what's Jesus saying here? First of all, I think we have to explain the situation a little bit because it doesn't translate into our culture too well. Because you and I would like look at this passage and we're like, what a jerk. Why is he going to his neighbor and knocking on his door in the middle of the night? Of course he's not going to get up and give him something, right? The Middle Eastern culture is so different from ours even today. And at Jesus' time, this would have been the ultimate shame. If someone came to your house and you brought him into your house and you had nothing to offer him, 
you would be considered the lowest of the low. You see, they emphasize and value hospitality so much that it's worth going and bothering your neighbor who's asleep and saying, hey, hey, will you give me a, piece, will you give me a loaf of bread and some eggs so I can you know, cook breakfast up for these guys? They surprised me, and I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have anything to do with them. And, and the neighbor, any good neighbor in this culture, would take pity on you and say, yeah, that's really, that's really rotten. Here, take what, what I've got. What Jesus is saying here, which, does, again, doesn't translate too well into our culture, is that God is like the neighbor, except God is a better neighbor than even the neighbor that he talks about in here. What does he say? He says that the neighbor will eventually respond because of the persistence, right? Because of the persistence. Even though it's a bother to him, he's going to respond because the guy keeps knocking. Now, Jesus is not saying that God is like that. Jesus is saying that God is better than that. That God doesn't want you to suffer shame. Just see which is a big deal for them. All right, that one doesn't translate too well. Let's go to the next one. Verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Verse 13. If you then, who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Here Jesus makes the point that even evil fathers love their children. Think about it. We look through history, we see this. That even incredibly terrible men, villains, murderers, People like gangster Al Capone are tender with their children. I read a letter online from Al Capone written to his son, Sonny. And reading the letter, aside from the fact that he's writing from prison, you'd never know that this guy was responsible for the deaths of countless people, the tenderness that's found in the letter. African dictator Eddie Amin who killed estimated some 300,000 people in Uganda. A real terrible person. Supposedly with his children was a jokester and playful. And they said that you would never know that this was a terrible dictator by how he interacted with his children. Jesus goes so far as to say even evil fathers know how to treat their children. Even evil fathers are good. Of course, there's some exceptions, right? There are just some brutal fathers out there. And that's unfortunate. But Jesus goes so far as to say that even all of us are evil fathers. And I looked up the word in Greek. It actually is evil. That's not a translation liberty. What's Jesus saying here? I just had my first daughter. She's... What, 13 days old now? She's, she's beautiful. She's the, the light of my day and night. <laughs> and 
to think of myself as an evil father. What's Jesus saying? He's saying that as much as I love my daughter, as much as when I look into her eyes I, I well up with emotion, so much more does God love you, each of you individually. That comparatively, even the best fathers here on earth are evil. Boy, that's hard to believe, right? It's hard to even think about. It's one of the things that I tell people at funerals when they lose a parent. As much as you love that person, God loves that person even more. And therefore, you can be assured that that person's being taken care of. That's the kind of fatherhood, that divine paternity that Jesus is talking about here as he reveals who God is. And it's so different, so different from what the disciples had known. Let's look at the instruction part, the second part. So there's many uses beyond revealing who God is for the Lord's Prayer, aren't there? Jesus answers their question after all. Lord, teach us to pray with a prayer. Very simply. He gives them instruction as to how to pray. Again, there's slight differences in the versions, but we know that he gave this multiple times. And in fact, the Didache, one of the earliest sources outside of Scripture written by the apostles in 96 AD, instructs Christians to use the Lord's Prayer as the core of their prayer life. I'll just read you a short section from it. It says, And do not pray as the hypocrites, but as the Lord commanded in his gospel, pray thus, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into trial, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the power and the glory forever. Pray this three times a day, say the apostles. You see, the Lord's Prayer is that most basic instruction of discipleship. Why? Because in it, you can't escape who God is. And in it, you can't escape who you are as God's son or daughter. So I want to challenge you. If you haven't bought a prayer book, buy a prayer book. And if you can't buy one, come to me and I'll give you one. Because our prayer life is that important with our relationship to God. The, morning, the daily office in the prayer book, morning prayer, Noonday prayer, evening prayer come out of the Lord's Prayer, if you look at them. They expound it. And it's a great blessing when we can pray those prayers every day. But look, it's much better to pray the Lord's Prayer frequently than to try to pray everything that you want to pray and only pray once a week. So the frequency of saying it, maybe at least once a day, maybe twice a day, maybe three times a day, is a heck of a lot better than opening your prayer book to morning prayer once a week and saying the prayers. Why? 
because it's an ongoing connection with God. It's an ongoing conversation with your Father. Are you feeling like God's not present in your life? Say the Lord's Prayer. Do you feel like God doesn't care for you? Say the Lord's Prayer. Do you feel distant from Him for whatever reason? There's confession in there. Pray the Lord's Prayer and see what it does to your heart. See how it reveals God to you. 19th century bishop of Liverpool, J.C. Ryle, writes this. He says, in these verses, our Lord Jesus instructs us about prayer. The subject is one which can never be too strongly pressed on our attention. Prayer lies at the very root of our Christianity. It is part of the daily business of religious life. He's right. Sometimes we make being a follower of Jesus far too complicated... Ultimately, it's having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and maintaining that relationship by the grace of the Holy Spirit. I can confidently tell you that you do not pray enough. How can I say that? I can confidently tell you also that I do not pray enough because none of us pray enough to be in that constant contact with the Father. Look at Jesus as the model. He's always going away and praying before he does things. Why do we not pray more? Is it because we don't believe that God is good enough to get up and unbar the door and help us like that friend in the gospel? Is it because we really kind of doubt that he's a good father or that he has our best interest in mind? Maybe. But I want to close with the words of St. Cyril of Alexandria who says this to the church. He says, Jesus commands us therefore to take boldness and say in our prayers our father. Last week Father Joshua in his sermon reminded us of Luke 18:27. with God all things are possible which is also the state motto of Ohio. I don't know if you knew that, Father Joshua. At one point we had to memorize that in school. I don't know if we still do. How much do we lack because we don't take our Lord's instruction to pray to our Father and believe in Him as our good Father and caring Father? Ask, says Jesus, and you will receive. Seek says Jesus, and you will find. Knock, says Jesus, and the door will be open for you. Friends, believe it is so, because he's revealed it. Believe it is so, because he's commanded it. Amen.